Hi, and welcome to a new episode of the State of the Net podcast. I'm Paolo Valdemarin. And I'm Ewan Semple. And you want to go back to drive lorries, I, I read. <laughs> yeah, I still get the odd pang. I mean, the post that Paolo's referring to was this morning about having watched a program here in the UK called DIY SOS. And it's, it's where people do up houses that people in, in various forms of trouble need some help and they invariably involve lorries and trucks and stuff getting in and out of a building site and I just found myself yearning for that bizarrely um, and as I said in the post you know I mean that was amongst the most terrifying things I've ever done in my life but there's a bit of me misses just the sense of satisfaction of getting in and out without anything going horribly wrong was was you know an achievement so yeah I don't know. And I just, I still enjoyed the uh, the craft of it, if you like, just being in charge of such a whopping big thing and having to sort of get it right and know what you were doing, you know. It was a nice, nice feeling of competence. Oh, look, you have all my admiration for... <laughs> I mean, I've just watched a few videos that you, you shared at some point of people driving lorries and, and I, yeah. I, that was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Well, that photo that I put on the post, it's, uh, you know, just getting to that building site was challenging. I think it was in Pinner or somewhere. And took me up a little lane past some old church stuff that I was desperately trying not to plough the wheels through through grass verges. And then I had to do a ridiculous sort of U-turn to get the back end into the position that's in that photograph. And then, as you'll see from it, I'm, I'm right next to some scaffolding that, you know, I maybe had a foot, two foot at the most, Um which when you're driving something that big doesn't feel like an awful lot of space, you know. Yeah, no, there is also this idea of, I mean, I, I remember watching this video and you're going down a road which is becoming narrower and narrower and you don't <laughs> really know if you can get through. That's right. It's and the feeling. more you go down, the more you have got to reverse if you need to get out of it. Yeah, uh, I it, mean, it's a horrible feeling. It's, uh, look, I mean, it was horrible watching it i can't imagine leaving it <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah no so i mean you know who knows never say never but you're not even driving a car now well no i mean that that so our car was on one of these types of loan where you you're sort of paying off some of it so you you end up at the end of the three-year contract with the choice of giving the car back and hopefully clearing the rest of the loan or taking out a new one and you know, it was, it was quite a lot of money each month for, you know, it was a nice big Honda CRV. It was black, it had a nice stereo. But I was sort of increasingly aware of the fact that I was hardly using it. You know, this year it's pretty much sat in the front drive, costing me all this money. And, uh, you know, as the girls get older, there's less likelihood of long distance journeys with all four of us. Um, because of where we are, you know, we've got two other small cars just so that everybody can get somewhere when we need to sort of thing. So it's not as if we're we're going to be walking anywhere as a result. But we gave it back. Um, so it was, and it was partly a general sort of pulling back from buying stuff. And I know, Paolo, you're going to immediately pick up on the fact that I've just got a HomePod Mini. But, um, you know, I didn't need a car and I didn't need a fancy car. Um, so I'm quite enjoying having just given it back. And I think that anyway... These are probably the last cars that. Well, I mean, I'm. Since I moved to the UK, I've I've not been driving, 
in I I actually I don't think that I ever drove a car in the UK, uh, and I find quite remarkable because I swapped my I had to swap my European Italian driving license with a British one and just gave them the Italian one they gave me the British so now I'm driving around with the British in Italy with a British driving license and I've never ever tried to drive a car in Britain um, but anyway you know since I moved to London I have not been driving because you don't need mm-hmm. the car if no. you're if you're there and uh, I always found this strange because in in my previous life driving was part of my identity you know it's uh, yeah. You, yeah. you turn 18 you start driving it's who you are it's freedom is uh, you mm-hmm. know you can go anywhere and then for years i would just drive to milano once or twice a week and that i mean from where we live is a uh, 400 kilometers Mm-hmm. Right, and I would like go in the morning. Come, I would drive like eight, nine hundred kilometers in a, in a day to go to a meeting, and uh, and suddenly I am not driving anymore. I mean, it, yeah. it's even if I in the morning I hear the, the traffic updates and they mention these places, and so I remember you know being stuck in traffic there, and you know it yeah, just yeah. doesn't happen anymore. Well, it's, yeah, because it was likewise. I mean, my dad road motorbikes and so from a very uh, even before I was legally meant to be able to I was I was riding motorbikes and and then cars and then the trucks obviously so you're right I mean it did does feel part of my identity and that was what I was sort of comfortable to give up I mean um it, it, you know as I say where we live we, we we need a car to get to any station we're too far from stations and certainly when I go into mountains again I'll need a car to get me there because it's just really impractical. I mean, you can do it with trains and taxis, but it's a real hassle to get to some of the remote places that I like to get to. So I'm not kind of giving up cars altogether, but my attitude to them has, over the last few years, changed anyway. And, you know, one of the reasons I'm not sorry to see the back of the Honda was its its user interface in in the car systems. It was terrible. There was this message that came up every time you start the car warning you to be careful and not pay attention to the system that's telling you not to pay attention to it. And of course, you've seen that message millions of times, but the button that you need to press to get rid of the message to be able to see anything else on the console is tiny. And if and if you miss it, you press a button that changes the language. <laughs> so, you know, the first five minutes of every bloody journey, I was at real risk of hitting something because I'm trying to get rid of this stupid message telling me to be careful. So um, that that was I'll be glad to see the back of that. But um, but o- over the years, the last few years, the thing that's been most interesting to me about cars is the is the electronics, is what you can plug into it, and how many USB sockets it's got to charge the kids' phones, and you know, with all the rumours that resurrected again uh, about an Apple car. Um, if I still need to get places, I'll I'll be at the front of that queue. Well. We we bought what I think is the last car that we will buy um, last summer, and mm-hmm. uh, it's a practically. I mean, it's a mo- new car, so it uh, and and it's a, a Ford Puma, and um, it comes with the support for Apple Car, which is quite interesting because uh, essentially once you plug in your phone, you replace the UI of the yeah. of the screen with the one from your phone yep. um which is 
pretty good. It's nice. You have access to your apps and navigation and Siri. It's nicely integrated in the car. Uh, it's a whole new, different experience. I mean, let alone the fact that the car... I mean, this doesn't drive itself, but uh, it keeps yourself in the lane. It keeps distance from the car in front of you. It's uh, it's a ridiculously small one-liter three-cylinder. Uh, oh, we've so oh, I think because we've got a Hyundai i10 that likewise has got CarPlay, but it also likewise is a one a thousand cc three-cylinder engine. <laughs> but this one has a hundred and fifty-five horsepower. I've not even looked because it's not worth caring about. It's a three-cylinder <laughs> uh, engine with a small electric motor that. Uh, helps around right. and uh, it's uh, it's remarkable but uh, yeah i'm thinking we still need a car because you know like yourself here in italy we'll live in the countryside and you need a car to get anywhere mm. but uh, already if you live in a city you know between uber and uh, car services and i mean you don't really need to own a car no and uh, as soon as uh, truly automated self-driving car will start going around. I mean, there are in some cities that are already there. It'll mm-hmm. mean that uh, any car, you know, can take you somewhere and then drive away and take somebody else somewhere else. I mean, we are going to need probably less than 20% of the cars that are circulating in the moment. To, yeah, most to, of which to, sit around most of the time. Yeah, yeah exactly. For sure. uh, which is, uh, which is uh, amazing. So, yeah. I think that these are the last cars that we buy. And it, and it it was just partly picking up on your point about identity because you know especially for blokes and especially growing up it was a thing to have a fast car or a fast motorbike or um to a ridiculous degree you know it was some sort of rite of passage bollocks and yeah, maybe just me getting older maybe the kids are still like that but that 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 side of it's just beginning to diminish totally now. As I say, it's more about the electronics than it is about what's under the hood or how fast it goes, because you know, you can't go fast most of the time anyway. Um, yeah. I, I actually, uh, I, I realised that uh, when I, I watched the video, after we had bought the car, um, because, of course, I, w- I had been doing some research about the car, of course, YouTube was pushing uh, videos of people driving Pumas. <laughs> and there is yep. a, a guy in Germany who just go, you know, gets a car and f- goes flat out on the on the Autobahn. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I realized, and he was driving exactly the same model I have, and he was going at 220 kilometers per hour, something like that. And I thought, wow, I... Had never realized that the car, this car, was this fast. And then I realized, yeah. actually, I never seen a top speed. I mean, do you remember top speed of a car was kind of what an important thing that you would always check because you yeah. know we we all knew all the top speed of all the cars. I mean, this is not even a thing. It's not written anywhere. It's not a feature. It's not something that's interesting. You yes, talk you're about. right. I mean, I used to on the on the. Uh, it used to matter on the bikes. I mean, I. I mean, especially going down the autostrada in Italy, you know, I'd be sitting at 130 miles an hour, don't know what that is in kilometres, mm-hmm. all day pretty much, you know, and then coming back up through Spain with, with my wife on the bike, we were doing 150, um, which was the bike's top speed. What's, what's 150 in kilometres? Yeah, but it's, look, it's... it's um, Too much. 
Yeah, I mean, if I think about uh, what I did driving cars, uh, <laughs> it was quite yeah. And but you know, I I remember borrowing my my dad's Alpha. He had a very very fast car and driving like doing going to Milano and coming coming back from Milano one night in two and a half hours or something like that, which is just crazy. And uh, I mean, and I was thinking about that. And when my dad had that car, and I was thinking it must have been something like nineteen when I did that, which, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is completely irresponsible. But uh, well, it's funny having having said I've got over all of this. I have just looked up what one hundred and fifty is in kilometers, and it's two hundred and forty-one. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. what I do remember is that I, I sort of started to slow down and uh, thought I'd better just turn around and check. The penny was still there, um, and that she was okay. And as I turn around, I'm getting really battered on the on my helmet, you know, and couldn't work out why. And then I looked down; it was because I was still doing 100 miles an hour, but it just felt so slow compared to what I've been doing, you know. <laughs> Crazy. Moving on from the old farts talking about driving fast car <laughs> section of our program today, to another old fart section. <laughs> well, uh, there is. Um, so what about your HomePod? So yeah, I put the, it off. And the put one it off. you were not buying because you don't care about buying stuff. Well, the, okay. So my 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 excuse is that we, I I had bought with some birthday money last year a pair of uh, stereo pair of um, what they call them, bookshelf speakers, mm-hmm. uh, which were actually really good. They were they were nice speakers, but for some reason, and I have no idea why, it wasn't overblowing them or anything but they developed a bit of distortion in the mid-range that was just gradually driving me nuts and uh, Amazon had a two-year guarantee on them so I just I actually went to go and get them replaced but they don't stock them anymore so they had to refund them and I thought right that's it I'm going to get myself a HomePod mini the gods uh, of speakers were (laughs) containing you something exactly who was I to say no um but yeah, what what an amazing little device. And, you know, part of the reason over the years I haven't spent an awful lot of money on speakers is that when I used to work in sound and BBC radio, you know, we had the best of the best loudspeakers and spent all day listening to them. And any attempts I made to replicate that at home were going to cost me thousands of pounds, you know. So I never did. I just put up with whatever I had. Um, but also because of that training, I knew, know the physics of what it takes to generate sound and big sounds. And I just stand looking at this thing the size of a grapefruit, producing bass that just it shouldn't be doing. You know, it's just amazing the amount of sound and nice sound, you know, nice distinction between the different ranges, different, and it you, know, you can turn it right up and it doesn't distort in the slightest, it doesn't get muddy, just incredible clarity. Um, so just as a, as a speaker, we're loving it. But what's interesting is having it in, in the sort of public space in the house, and with both the girls being into their music and musical theatres and singing and whatever, they're just loving being able to call out to Siri and just get it to play a song that's in their head and they want to sing along to, you know. So it's it's really, really enjoying it in a way I, I didn't expect. And, of course, now I want lots of them. <laughs> Have you tried the communication features? <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> 
Yeah, you mean like um, on returning from a walk the other day there, I was near the house, so I said to my watch, intercom to the house that I'm, you know, brace yourselves, girls, I'm nearly home. Which seemed like a smart idea until I discovered that Penny had in fact been having a snooze in the lounge and was asleep at the time. <laughs> I haven't, so I've that, never, I didn't even know if it works with a with a older, bigger... I think I think it does. Uh, I, I mean, think it does. I think they've done, it's a software update for that, but I think okay. it, the, the latest versions do. My HomePod is sitting in my flat in London, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, the internet went down. I think they're doing works in the building. Uh-huh. I'll need to call somebody because I mean, I, 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 I do, of course, I don't need the connectivity while I'm gone, but at the same time, the fact that I cannot call, you know, my thermostat annoys me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's actually something I'll, I'll need to, to to make a call to somebody. But yeah, I mean, I I know, as I say, I, I'm tempted to have them in more rooms, and I've been so impressed with the sound that I'm sort of this is how they get you, isn't it? I'm sort of hankering after the bigger one now because I want more. Never, never happy. Well, now we know that you're gonna buy more. Yeah. Just, just well, don't no, pretend. Not. Just don't pretend you're not. At some point, if if the gods line up again and some windfall falls in my direction, then I might do. I'm not gonna, not gonna go out and do it. But, um, but yeah. So something else I wanted to have a chat about is um, I've been following politics in the last couple of months. Well, that was a mistake. Um, well, but somehow in a different way or at least it feels a different way uh, in in January I was uh, it was you know US politics month and uh, I was pretty much at the same time following the change of administration and uh, listening to Obama's book and uh, watching um, the West Wing and what, what a potent mix I think it was so interesting because essentially you have three fictional White Houses. I mean, at fictionals at different degrees, but uh, you know there are there are old stories that you hear, and uh, yeah. I mean, how much of the truth there is behind you know Obama telling stories of what happened in his White House or, or what we hear of the news and what happened in Trump's is yeah. uh, you know. Um, but it was also very interesting how the issues are pretty much the same. I mean, you can hear the administration in the West Wing, which was shot 20 years ago, talking about global warming. Mm-hmm. You can hear Obama talk about global warming. You can hear, you know, the current Biden administration claiming that they're going to well, make it's... global warming a priority. <laughs> That's not going away. And, uh, and, you don't always realize, you know, for how long we have been yeah. talking about yeah. uh, about issues, but also and doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, doing clearly not doing enough. Yeah, in the same way as uh, you know, topics of the polarization of the politics, and you know, the, I was watching the, these episodes around the elections in the White House and, you know, mm-hmm. Republicans and Democrats and how they are fighting each other. And then you you hear 
Obama's story, and it's kind of you can actually feel that there is a kind of a notch more extreme, and then you and, and then you go through Trump's experience, and you clearly there is a couple of notches more extreme. So it, it was quite interesting to kind of observe these stories unfolding. And any sense of technology's part in that those transitions? Well. I mean, that's in you know, in West Wing, it's at some point they mention a blogger. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> just to be done with the kids. So yeah, so so that that is uh, that is pre-social media. Obama tells the a story. Obama when when Obama tells a story, it was the beginning of social media. But basically, he says social media didn't have any significant impact on him being elected the first time they mm -hmm. actually registered the difference between their first time and the second time which is not covered by his book yet so i don't know right. the details of the story and of course we all know the impact that social media had on 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 the latest administrations so yeah you can see that entering the scene but at the same time i think it's interesting to see how some of the issues that we kind of identify with social media now that were already there in the yeah in the you know yeah. early noughties without without facebook or twitter so which has always been my point that in many most respects it amplifies rather than generates things um it facilitates i i, yeah. I, I think that uh, you know it's much easier for more people to find nut jobs than it was before not it was not possible it was just harder i i, I don't know if you read any of the articles about uh, um, some of the nice american housewives that stormed the capital last month no and detail, uh, no. The, the, I, I read one or two interviews and you know, you, you hear a story of these kind of regular people that, uh, you know, yes, they they didn't even always voted Republican in the past, but uh, for the last year, they kind of fell into this uh, rabbit yeah. hole of uh, conspiracy theories, and uh, and uh, basically they were swept away. And and most of all, especially for these people, happen on Facebook. Yeah, so I was just reading an article about a guy at uh, Pizzagate, mm -hmm. a guy who'd been sort of radicalised and taken seriously ridiculous conspiracy theories about a pizza shop owner in the states and paedophilia and all sorts of nonsense, and and how QAnon it didn't come out of that, but it was certainly accelerated by that and. Yeah, it, it is. But I think that at, at, at Pizzagate time, that was, what, uh, four or five years ago? Yeah. yeah. Um, that was still, I think that that was happening on, you know, 4chan or one of those. Yeah, it was It was still sort of nutters who had to go looking for it. Yeah, rather than exactly. It was people still just being radicalized by fringe. being there. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. You know, it's, it's shifted in that sense and it's worrying. And what's worrying is how people are so ill-prepared for it, how, how suckered they are by it. But then this has always been the way. This is how Hitler did what Hitler did. You know, he just knew that the mass were easy, were gullible, needed, wanted leadership, and 
Oh, hold on. We jump. I'm, you know? I'm the one that usually says that. You're the one say people are smart. Uh, well, let, I mean, yeah. in, in, in their defense, you have some of the smartest engineers on the planet that have been optimizing yeah. algorithms to change your behavior for the last several years, throwing billions of dollars at the problem. Yeah. So they build a machine that is very, very good at uh, taking you down rabbit holes and grabbing your attention. Yeah. And uh, of course, this is a you know unexpected consequence of it. But uh, and of course, now Zuckerberg is. is being quoted as saying he wants his people to cause Apple pain yeah. in response to Apple's attempts to try and curtail some of that. Yeah, that doesn't help. And anyway, yeah. then I kept, f then I, I started following news uh, 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 here in Italy, where, as you might have heard, as of tomorrow, we're going to have a new government. I didn't, I hadn't, because oh, I yes, don't even yes. know what's happening in my own country, never mind uh, yours, Paolo. No, we are going to have the, the uh, government supported by the broadest coalition ever in history of uh, the Italian Republic. Wow. And uh, Mario Draghi, the former head of the European Central Bank, is going to be a prime minister. How did that come about? And it's... Uh, How so bad have things had to get that Italy would do a coalition government? Well, we do this every once in a while. I mean, it's not the first time it happens. You know, we had yeah. Monty before. We had a couple of others in, in, in history. Every time we get to a point of of uh, everything is so fucked up that the President of the Republic will just uh, call somebody serious and say, okay, you go figure this out. And, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and of course, the, the thing is that not only we have the pandemic going on, but we're also going to have a huge pile of money coming from the EU uh, which we should be using to reboot the Italian economy and you probably want somebody serious to do that but uh, again what I was finding interesting about uh, you know reading about politics to some degree putting a little bit of space between myself and what I was reading was um, on one side how on social media Everybody seems to be unhappy about this new government, which mm -hmm. probably means that they're doing something right. I was going to say that's a good sign. Yeah, and uh, and the other thing I I was thinking about how daunting the the you know whole idea of I mean, can you imagine this guy oh, taking yeah. up a You've job? You've got to be mad. You've got taking to be up mad. a job at this point in time. I mean, he doesn't have to prove anything. I mean, he has already had a brilliant career. And uh, you're basically put in charge of a country with uh, a level, of an amazing level of complexity. You need to figure mm. out the pandemic and vaccination and rebooting the economy and taking it in yeah. a whole new direction. Yeah. I mean, they're putting, you know, technology advancement and you know, a, a green movement in the in the in the center of this. I was just thinking. How hard is that going to be? I mean, every yeah. decision... Makes driving a lorry into building sites look really easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, every decision... There is no good decision because pretty much everything, every single decision is going to be criticised in the future, no no matter what. I mean... And, and have consequences that you can't control. It's not as if, you know... Absolutely. Th things will go wrong, you know, with the best will. Yeah. And it... It it also made me think about uh, you know the situation. I mean, 
politics even in 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 britain where it's so easy to criticize saying oh you know mm-hmm. you were not prepared you how come you were not prepared for this and uh, i, I yeah. watched uh, actually it was an interview a couple of days ago with bill gates and uh, he was saying well you know pandemics they happen every hundred years they're just not frequent enough for people to have them on their radar and be concerned about that he was using yeah. as an example um earthquakes i mean there are earthquakes happen all the time you have small ones you have big ones but they are frequent enough that people are concerned about that you know you buy insurance you prepare you build to protect yourself but pandemics they just don't happen yes of course he gave a speech five years ago at you know he gave a ted talk saying the next thing that will kill 10 million humans is going to be a a a pandemic of the respiratory tract i mean he was very specific about it but did anybody do anything about it of course not because we all had other priorities and we all wanted money to be spent elsewhere and if governments would have spent money on on preparing for a pandemic probably we would have been complaining about them why are they wasting money there so there is no right decision pretty and especially in this situation everything they decide there will be somebody at some point in the future saying oh that was a wrong decision they should have done something different and of course there is no way to prove them right it's uh, it's i mean i've always thought it's an untenable job um i used to feel i think i said you once bizarrely protective of obama because you know it's up to him what he does but i just kept thinking it must be so impossible to get to sleep at night knowing what's going on and I, years and years ago i worked on a g6 whatever it was in those days conference and kind of stood next to gorbachev and it was not long before gorbachev got chucked out in Russia and it was apparent even then that there were people out to get him how how on earth do you cope with the fact that I mean look at Russian politics now you know how do you stick your neck up like the opposition leader and his wife are doing and it has to be down to either they're lunatics or it's down to principles and trying to do the right thing by people which seems like kind of quaintly old fashioned I have uh, you know if thinking about happy moments can you imagine do you remember when trump the trump inauguration and uh, you know they were there with obama and the wives and some point obama waved got on a helicopter and flew away and uh, then he got on air force one last flight to i don't remember when they were they went to california no. somewhere yeah and they went to some basically went on holiday <laughs> and then they probably had dinner had a drink went to sleep <laughs> and can you imagine the next morning obama woke up i know <laughs> and it was not his problem yes it what was a weight off your shoulder <laughs> yet yes it was trump and yes probably everything was about to go to shit but it was not his problem he yeah, was yeah. not his brother yeah. can you imagine how good that must have yeah. felt off the scale but as you also said though i mean and this has been true of blair for instance who's been you know held to account for iraq after his tenure, you know, it doesn't it doesn't go away, does it? The the 
history still beats them up even when they've stopped the job. I mean, yes, it's not, they can't do anything about it. It's not their current problem. But again, it still takes a special kind of person to cope with that constant retrospective uh, blaming that, that still goes on. I don't know. I mean, if I think about Italian politicians, probably they don't care. It's, it's. I mean, well, but that's so. That's but that's what I was kind of saying earlier. If they if they really didn't care, what were they doing? Doing you know, you'd be mad to do the job if you didn't, even in some weird way, care. All right, I don't have an answer for this. <laughs> you don't care. Yeah, no, I do. I I do, but I, I don't know enough politicians intimately enough to to have an idea of how you know dysfunctional psychopaths are they or uh, or are they you know yeah one one thing i do i do know having sort of got in, in and out of whitehall a few times and known a few politicians remotely it's just how grindingly boring most of it is and especially you know, i've done a fair bit of work with the european commission and i know that just the stuff that they get slagged off for is Nobody would seek it out, you know. It's just it's crunching through reports and data and trying to do decision making in, in in difficult. You know, it's a thankless task. You know, it's you might have megalomaniac aspirations and and glamour of unconstrained power, but that even that even Trump didn't get that. You know. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I I think that uh, look, I have a, a couple of friends who were elected um in the parliament in italy and uh, i mean i i've heard stories of you know trying to deal with uh, the complexity and how hard it is and uh, you know the old level of uh, of negotiation that you need to go through to get anything done and it's quite interesting and the mechanics of it is incredibly hard and complicated and 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 boring yeah. um I guess that in order to get to the point where you are leader of a party or a political organization, it, it takes a certain number of other talents that are that are just crazy. I, I remember yeah. um, when we were. Do you remember K Collector? Our I do indeed. Our um, dear departed blogging knowledge collection tool. Um, when we built it, uh, there was uh, the campaign in America uh, um, where Bush ended up being re-elected. And we were in touch with people involved in the primaries of the Democratic Party. And uh, mm-hmm. at some point, there were negotiations of perhaps one of the of the Democratic Party candidates to use K-Collector. And so we kind of got almost there but they ended up mm. not using it but uh, mm-hmm. some people we knew uh, actually ended up being involved with the uh, with the campaigns and uh, something that I always remember they were telling me is how, how the moment you get very close to the candidate you really have super smart people like those yeah. those you know four university degree at by sixteen type of people, and uh, and even, I always even, t- even Trump. I, I well, like I can't say that, 
but if you think but if you think about Bush that we were all yeah. all making fun of I mean yeah uh, how, how good he looks looking back but you know but you know c- c- he had people like Condoleezza Rice who were yeah, was yeah. a like you know the youngest I mean, it was just these amazing smart people and yeah, I yeah. always thought you know hearing the story from America I was wondering is this the same in Italy mm, probably not I mean I'm not sure there are that, that smart people but I don't know maybe there are because anybody I think in the UK there are I think I think the civil servants are yeah are highly educated smart people to mostly um. <laughs> some might be uh, yeah. But the the again, I, I think that what I've I've kind of started appreciating probably more is uh, stepping a little bit away from this partisan fight and appreciating mm. the complexity and the fact that whoever is up is out there trying to do this, it's going to be hard and uh, yeah. and it's it's going to be harder than probably it has ever been because the level of complexity is. Uh, you know, we've uh, we have never experienced a, a disease that hit the whole planet at this scale, this fast, all at the same time. Well, yep. except for Facebook. Um, <laughs> so it's um, it's unprecedented, and it's interesting, and I think that is putting a lot of humans on the line. But it's also exciting. I mean, it. it Absolutely, not not unrelated to politics. That my my dad, who's getting more and more right wing and just it's getting hard (laughs) to talk to him about some stuff, well, most stuff, um, who will slag off the NHS on a regular basis. And then when I point out to him that the speed at which they've managed to get the inoculation program going, the vaccination program going to scale and all recorded, I mean, that's just incredible. It's massive. I mean, there's very few countries have done it with that degree of success. And yet he's still would want to politicise that. And it's... I always remember somebody saying that's the trouble with governments. You start off wanting somebody to look after the roads and make sure that they get maintained, and then the next thing you know, they're telling you what to think. <laughs> and and it is that slippery slope into ideology and and polarisation and them and us and right and wrong and all the stuff that we've ended up taking as the norm. Um, but you can't just... It now looks old-fashioned. I mean, both... I've said this before, both capitalism and socialism look increasingly out of date, or at least the form of capitalism capitalism that we have currently. And that's what's exciting, because I think there is a real prospect for it to be modified, invent, reinvented, adapted to the current situations. And, and that will call on maybe different types of people with different types of skills to to lead it. You know, I think, again, we're still in this slightly... It feels old-fashioned, sort of patriarchal, dominant leadership-type mentality. Which, you know, I don't think it's been possible for a long time, never mind now, for one person to be that sufficiently in control or ahead of everybody else or smarter than everybody else. It just doesn't work like that anymore. Yeah, I mean, I guess that what might happen is that uh, there will be soon new generation that will have been vaccinated by you know they will be protected by these toxic populist conversations on mm-hmm. on several yeah. channels and uh, 
they might be the ones that will elect a new generation of uh, competent and new people who will be able to deal with this new level of complexity that we have to deal with. Or at least I hope so, because (laughs) the alternative doesn't look pretty good. No, and and I'm always aware we might be going through a longer rough patch than some of us think, but I do think I do think that's the amazing thing about human nature is it does adapt and begins to sort its own problems. Hopefully, not too late. Yeah, I think that. Uh, do you remember um, our friend uh, Luca De Biase uh, gave hmm. gave yeah. a speech at uh, at one of our conferences a few years ago? Yeah, and he was using as an example the the ecology movement i think I it was remember, yes he was and you, the way the movement built and how you built the narrative or whatever yeah yeah but he was talking about recycling and and how after all quickly recycling became a habit and it's yes. become something that you know nowadays every time you have any piece of rubbish you are immediately thinking oh this is plastic this goes here this goes there we have all been educated to to a behavior which only 10 years ago was completely new and were people resisting say oh we're never going you know they're imposing on us we're never going to do yeah, that yeah. Uh, but now it has become mainstream so i think that probably in a w- in in the same way we actually can change behavior and we can change behavior i mean tens of years i mean still but yeah. uh, but relatively fast so who knows I mean, yeah. I, I think on this hopeful note, that's that's as good a note as any to end on. I reckon, Paolo. Yeah, we're not going to get any better than this. So, <laughs> thank you everyone for listening. See you next time. <laughs>